us as we go along. The title of this morning's message is called Check It Out. Say check it out. Turn to the person on your left and say check it out. Turn to the person on your right and say check it out. Turn to the person behind you and say if he says this one more time, I am checking out. If you have your Bible, we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to begin at verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The book of Exodus contains the story of Moses. And here's where we drop in on the story of Moses. We arrive in his timeline and find him working in the family business. He's working for his father-in-law Jethro and he's working as a shepherd. His job therefore is to spend his days day in and day out working with a bunch of sheep. Smelly, noisy, woolly sheep. Every day he journeys with these sheep, moving them from pasture to pasture, finding them fields to graze, water to drink, safe places to rest. This is his daily routine. This is his every day. Now on the surface, when we read these verses, when we read the statement on the screen, when we read this opening verse of this chapter, without rushing ahead in the timeline of Moses' life, on the surface, if we take these at face value, what is presented to us is that Moses is just an ordinary guy. He's just a regular, run-of-the-mill bloke going about his ordinary, everyday routine. In fact, from the information that is presented to us in these verses, you'd actually think that there is nothing special whatsoever about Moses. Now, because we've read a little bit of the Bible and we know a little bit about him, whenever we hear the name Moses, we immediately think of him as this biblical superstar. This awesome guy with a big beard and one of these staffs that only really old, really special, really wise people get. You know, those Dumbledore Gandalf type staffs that instantly announce the dude to whom this staff belongs is a pretty special person. We tend to think of Moses as this Old Testament hero. And in many senses, he actually is. He turned into an awesome trade union rep for the Israelites. His deliberations saw them set free from their slavery. And then he went and he did the whole parting of the Red Sea trick with his Gandalf staff. And then he went and took himself up the mountain and he met with God face to face and came back with the Ten Commandments upon which the legal system of many countries across this world is based. And when you read that stuff, you come to the conclusion that this guy is one heavy duty, proper, serious, biblical superstar. And while I'm being deliberately flippant about Moses' accomplishments, we can't actually deny that his accomplishments are huge. He changed the course and trajectory of an entire nation. He literally changed the course of history for a people group. If we were to describe it in modern day terminology, we would talk about how he rescued people from depravity and envisioned them with hope. He gave them purpose and a drive to seek a better way of life. He was influential in seeing them set free from racial prejudice and human slavery. He influenced their politics. 
He was the architect of their legal system, and if you like, he introduced them to their constitution. He transitioned this people towards independence and taught them how to function as a nation. He facilitated and, and fostered community. He was a guardian of their identity. He not only altered the course of history within a nation, but he changed families and he changed individual lives for the better. He helped them navigate famine and drought. He led them into war, operated as their commander-in-chief. He was respected and governed almost like their prime minister. He was their spiritual leader. He helped them understand God and interact with God. He was both their pastor and their prophet. And in fact, in modern day terms, we would describe him as functioning like an apostle. This guy was a world changer. He changed the world as we know it, but initially he changed the world of the ancient Middle East and the Old Testament times. And he changed the world for a people group who would step into their identity as a nation because of his influence. He changed the whole world for families, for children, for the generations that would come after him. He was not only a legend of a bloke, but he was a world changer. But rewind from all of that, because what we read in the verse behind me on the screen today is that the starting point for Moses, before all of the stuff that we've just mentioned, commander-in-chief, liberator, prime minister, political architect, shaper of dreams, releaser of hope, rescuer of families, pastor extraordinaire. Before the world-changing, history-making stuff, Moses was just a simple guy who worked in the family business. In fact, when we meet him, he was just minding his own business. And it's important that we grasp that. Before the biblical superstardom that we crown Moses with, he was a regular guy working the family business. And the whole reason that he had the job that he had was because of who he was married to. He wasn't a CEO, he wasn't a director. His family status didn't get him a, a shunt up the ladder or a shoe in at management level to lead teams and departments. No, he looked after sheep. His job was to tend the flock. Tending the flock meant moving the flock from place to place, looking for pasture, moving away from danger, finding water, finding places of rest. And we can only assume that in this role then, he must have traveled a fair bit and must have been on the move quite a lot. And if that is the case, then he must have had routes that he liked to travel. And if that is the case, then this route that we find him taking in Exodus chapter 3, it's probably not the first time he's made this route probably made it many times, the, the route that took in Mount Horeb. <clears throat> However, on this day, this familiar, forgettable journey that he could make with his eyes closed would be a journey that he would never forget. Because on this day, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And he saw that though the bush was in fire, it didn't burn up. So he thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight why the bush doesn't burn up. This day was unlike any other day for Moses because on this day, God turned up for him. And where did God turn up? Did he turn up in church? Did he turn up on an altar? Did he turn up in a moment of prayer? Did he turn up in the midst of passionate, soul-focused worship? Did he turn up in response to Moses fasting and interceding and laying hold of God in supplication? No, God turned up. At Moses' work. He turned up in his workplace. He turned up while Moses was going about his everyday, ordinary routine. 
And in fact, if you read the verse again, you'll notice that it doesn't suggest that the bush suddenly exploded into fire in front of Moses as he was walking along. The text and the wording of it seems to suggest to us that the bush was already on fire when Moses got there because he saw that it was on fire, but it wasn't actually burning up, so he went to check it out. It's almost as though God had already positioned himself within Moses' daily routine and was just waiting for him to come by. And if that's the case, we need something quite profound. The gist of the story is that Moses saw the bush on fire, not destroyed by the fire, and thought to himself, that's a bit weird. In fact, he calls it a bit strange, and his curiosity calls him to go and check it out. And what's happening is supernatural. It's not natural for a bush to be on fire, but not consumed by the fire. That's not natural. That's supernatural. God turns up in Moses' world in a way that is truly supernatural. <clears throat> and as Moses sees it, he thinks that's a bit weird, and he goes and he checks it out, and as he checks it out, he has a life-changing encounter with God. Now, when you read that and you take a step back from it, you can't help but think, what would have happened if Moses hadn't checked it out? What would have happened if he saw the bush on fire, but yet not being consumed by the fire, and thought to himself, that is well creepy, I'm getting out of here. Or what if he said, I clearly had far too many cheesy Doritos. I'm working too many hours. My mind's playing tricks on me. I need to go home to my cap. What if he said, no, I don't do burning bushes. It's not my character and God knows it. God doesn't do that kind of stuff with me. I don't believe in burning bushes. That's just excess. That's over the top. That's emotionalism. So I'm having nothing to do with this. Or what if he said, oh, I see the bushes on fire, but I don't feel anything right now. I've not got the goosebumps. I've not got the quiver in the liver. The hairs aren't standing on end. I'm not haying or hoeing, and I did not decree or declare that this bush should be on fire, so I'm out. I've been flippant, but the point is that all so often God can position himself in our lives for encounters, and we come up with excuses that are actually barriers to stop us stepping into what he set up for us. And the big point is, what if Moses hadn't went and checked out what was happening? If he hadn't, he would have missed out completely on a life-changing encounter with God. Do you know that every single day in life, God positions himself into our worlds? He puts himself in our everyday, in our regular, in our humdrum, and waits for us to find him there. I promise, if you look hard enough, you'll find him. If you pause enough to see, you'll find his fingerprints and you'll discover his footprints everywhere. And sometimes God turns up in profoundly and undeniably supernatural ways, and sometimes he turns up in naturally supernatural ways. See, it's reckoned that Horeb wasn't just the name of the mountain, but was the name of the surrounding wilderness and desert area. And if we're talking about a desert arid wilderness area with intense temperatures, then I reckon that a burning bush was probably not an uncommon thing. In fact, just last summer, as we left here for lunch, we came out and saw a bush on fire in the car park. And I didn't know whether to take off my sandals or call the fire brigade, but 
when the fire brigade arrived and I put my shoes back on, they told us that what caused it was the heat. It was intense heat. A bit of glass or something must have sparked it. Now, I know you might be thinking to yourself, well, not necessarily glass lying about in the wilderness in ancient times. Okay, if this is a route that Moses took, then that must mean that it's a route that other people took. And it probably wasn't uncommon then for folk to set up campfires to keep themselves warm at night or to make breakfast in the morning. And I bet it wouldn't have been the first time that one of those campfires would have got out of hand. My point is a bush on fire in that environment would not be unnatural, but what was unnatural was a bush on fire but not being burnt by the flames. At first it seemed natural, but looking closer it was actually supernatural. Moses saw it and saw that the bush was on fire, but it was not being consumed by the fire, and the fact that it wasn't being consumed, that's what he thought was strange. So that would suggest that a bush on fire did not spark him as strange, but a bush on fire that was not being consumed, that was what was unusual. You see, this is what God does. He turns up in naturally supernatural ways, ways that at first perhaps you could naturally explain away and naturally give reason for, but actually when you begin to look, you discover you can't explain it any other way than it's God. He moves in supernatural and profound ways, yes, but he also moves in naturally supernatural ways. And here's the thing, Moses looked on in this God scenario This is the angel of the Lord. When the Old Testament references the angel of the Lord, it's Jesus. So this is the glory of Christ. In this bush, the glory of Christ is manifest. And Moses' first thought when he sees the glory of God was an, O Jehovah Yahweh, I adore thee and beseech thee. His first thought was, that's flipping weird. That's odd. That's strange, he calls it. See, sometimes you can look in on a God scenario and think that's a bit weird. But as you check it out, weird turns to wonder because it's always wonderful when God's at its source. And the truth is that sometimes God experiences can be and can seem a bit weird. And we look at them and it feels and it seems weird and that's okay because Moses, the biblical superhero and world changer, thought the manifest glory of God in a burning bush was weird. But even although he thought it was strange, he made the decision to check it out and explore. You might have come in contact with some God scenarios and thought, this is just strange, this is just weird, heck. You might even have been a visitor invited along here today and you're like, yep, you guys are all a bunch of weirdos. But let me encourage you, when you encounter a God scenario that looks and seems weird, don't walk away, check it out. Look into it, explore it, move closer to God and he'll move closer to you and the result will be a life-changing encounter. Let's pick up at verse four as we bring it into close. It says, when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, he called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When God sees Moses going over to check it out, he calls out to him, and, and look at what he does. He, he introduces himself to Moses let me introduce myself. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's like your dad, your granddad, your great-granddad, so on, yet they they all worshiped me. The generations before you had me as their God. 
Now here's the thing, after this moment, Moses himself began to follow and worship God. But he began to follow and worship God not because his family had always done that, so that's what he now needed to do. And not because his father-in-law was a priest, so he better toe the line. No, he worshipped and followed God because he had his own encounter with God. He had his own introduction to God. Young people, I know that church and God is sometimes viewed as something for the old dears. And BBC Songs of Praise doesn't help that profile. I know that church and God is sometimes viewed as that's what the generations before you did. They did the whole church thing and the whole God thing. And I know you might be thinking our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents had faith and were raised to go to church and raised to have beliefs. And that's what you did back then. I know you might be thinking, well, I'm here because I'm raised in a Christian household or with a Christian family. And this is what our family believes. But let me tell you something. Don't just have faith because that's what your family does. Don't hold the Christian label or carry the faith card because that's what you've been raised to do. Discover God for yourself. He wants to introduce himself to you personally. Even though God tells Moses that his father and his forefathers all worshipped him, he still takes time to introduce himself directly and personally to Moses. He says, all of your family knew me. I want you to know me. Young people, you may be here because all your family know him, but he wants you to know him personally. It's like God says to Moses here, I don't want you to have a secondhand antique faith. I don't want you to have an heirloom faith that has been passed down to you and inherited. I want you to discover something fresh, something alive, something real to you. I want to introduce myself personally that that which you have is not that which has been inherited by you, but that which is inherent to you. Not a faith that is a relic passed on to you, but a faith that is real and passionately owned by you. I don't want you to have something historical. I want you to have something personal. God turns up to Moses and he calls him by his name. He could have led this whole thing with the formalities. He could have opened up the whole conversation with the line, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. But he didn't. He started by calling Moses. Moses. He repeats his name. He calls out exactly who he was here for before he called out what he was there for. Let me tell you, God is more concerned about who you are than what you do. He's more interested in your heart than your deeds. And he comes close because he wants you to know who he is and he's more interested in who you are than in what you will do for him. And never forget that. Young people, God doesn't want you to believe in him because that's what your family have told you to do. He doesn't want you to grudgingly cling to a faith system because that's what you've been raised with and dragged along to, taught and drummed into you that this is what you have to believe for your entire life. He wants you to have your own personal encounter with him. He wants you to own your own relationship and experience. 
And I know that the world and the media and even our education systems might suggest that church, faith and Jesus are irrelevant in this day of age and out of date for our culture. I know that everything outside these Christian walls might see the church as not trendy and maybe an old bit old-fashioned and a bit dull. And I'm sorry that in some cases we've actually made that true within the church of Jesus Christ, generally. I'm sorry that we haven't always understood your generation. And we haven't always embraced change. And therefore, with the right motives, but sometimes not always the right action, we've made things a bit stagnant and dull. But today I want to encourage you with these words. Check it out. Check out the God stuff for yourself. Talk to him, reach out to him, explore, discover, ask questions, search for him. And I promise you this, it's not big revelation. If you genuinely seek him, I guarantee you, you will find him. You will have a life-changing encounter with him. Right now, God is positioning himself in your everyday world to introduce himself to you, to present his reality and his power to you. And you may not always feel something. It's important we call that out in a church and environment that places so much emphasis upon experience, and we will always do that. Don't apologize for that. There are encounters and experiences to be had, but it's important that we call out you won't always feel something. You might not always sense something. There definitely won't always be goosebumps and hair standing on end and sensations. It won't always be heaven open and lights flashing and voices booming and supernatural manifestations because he calls you to a faith system, not a feeling session. But if you will look, you will see his fingerprints all over your life. If you will look in the journey up until now, if you look at where you are right now, even I promise you going forward into this next academic year and all that is ahead, if you will look, you will find his footprints and his fingerprints because he loves you and he cares for you and he presences himself with you. He is with you and his plan is to make you a world changer. Young people, you have the power to change the world. You can turn this world upside down. You can achieve and accomplish whatever you put your mind to and much, much more than that. And you can accomplish whatever it is that God calls you to. We believe that you are world changers, young people. In fact, each and every one of us in this room can be world changers. He sees in each of us the potential to change the world. And he releases to us and within us the power to change the world. Because that's God's plan and his mission. God is changing our world and he does so one life at a time. He changes our worlds, he turns them upside down to then change the world and turn it upside down through us. And all of that begins with an encounter. Before Moses was the big world changer biblical superhero, he was a guy working in the family business 
but God turned up in his everyday environment and turned him into a world changer. Let me tell you, young people, you might not go on to be a political figure, someone that alters the course of history, that brings influence to set people free and bring freedom. But you know what? I believe that some of you probably will. What makes you a world changer is when you find him in the everyday environment, connect with him and live in relationship with him. That's when you begin to change circumstances round about you. It doesn't matter who you are and what you do. If you find him, he'll change the world through you. If you want to alter history, if you want to change the world, then today, as he calls your name, as he sets himself up in your everyday and your routine, even in the routine of this moment, because let's face it, coming to church every Sunday is routine. As he sets himself up in your routine, hear his voice. He calls your name. Find him for yourself. When you do, he will change your world. But he... Don't take my word for it. Check it out.